0: Hey everybody, welcome to Metal Misconduct. It's Brian Slagle from Metal Blade Records, and I'm here as always with my good pal Sean Rourke from NHL.com. What's going on, Sean?
1: Uh, A little bit of this, a little bit of that. It's holiday season, so it's always busy, but uh, we've got some uh, metal music to get us through all the stress, right?
0: Absolutely, that's how it goes. And I will let you introduce our very esteemed guest that we have this month.
1: Yes, this month we have uh, Mike McKenna uh, from the Binghamton Senators, goalie for the Binghamton Senators, maybe uh, vying with Drew Stafford to be the biggest metalhead in professional hockey. He knows his stuff, especially his uh, black metal, and uh, we're really excited to have him on and talk a little bit about uh, life in uh, hockey and uh, some of his uh, metal music leanings, I guess you would call him. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. This will
0: be fun. Absolutely. So I always love, you know, when we talk to athletes to find out, like, how did you, how and when did you first get into the whole metal thing?
2: I think for me, it started, it was really a progression. And I mean, I can remember even in fifth, sixth grade, you know, um, is when I really started to just enjoy music in general. And the first bands that I liked back then were just your normal bands, your Nirvana's and. Uh, Alice in Chains, and the bands from that era, and kind of the grunge stuff, and so um, that's what I first gravitated towards, and then, you know, as time went on, I, I mean, I don't think I even listen to Nirvana anymore at all, but you know, even some of those bands that I liked back then, like Alice in Chains and Smashing Pumpkins and Soundgarden, I still love those bands, but as I got older, um, I started getting more into the heavier stuff that was at least on the radio, so... Uh, it's funny because I was listening, I listened to Drew Stafford's podcast that he did with you guys, and we've got almost a parallel story here, like to a T. Like, I was listening to all the new metal bands when I was in middle school, right? Because <laughs> I didn't, back then, we really didn't have, unless you knew somebody, you didn't really have access to the underground stuff. And I didn't know anybody that liked that at all. I just knew what I heard on the radio that I really liked. So, uh, you know, middle school, like Deftones were my favorite band. And I still, a lot of their stuff I still like. But, you know, bands like Korn and, Um, You know, Soulfly, which eventually ended up leading me into finding Sepultura and their older stuff and realizing that their old thrash stuff from the 80s and early 90s was way better than anything I expected it to be ever, you know? Um, So that's kind of how it went. And then by the time I got to college, that was 2001, um, you know, it opened up a whole new world because I had a high-speed internet connection and I could suddenly listen to all these bands I had never heard before. And you know, finding them, whether it was just through like Amazon or any other service that I could just get these little snippets of things and pick up albums here and there. Um, that's where it started. So I, I found bands like like the Haunted and then Dissection and Immortal and uh, even the earlier metalcore bands like Unearth and Killswitch Engage from that time frame. So um, that was really how it happened, and it's just kind of evolved ever since then. And now I've really just listened to almost strictly metal. I've got like 60 gigs of it worth that I've ripped from all my CDs. So uh, nice. I got a lot.
0: <laughs> so uh, it's good to hear, because I hear this story a lot, that that at least the that new metal, and I mean, look, I like the grunge stuff as well, but new metal not so much, but at least that was a gateway. And I hear a lot of people say it was a gateway. What was the first like really heavy thing that you heard that you were like, whoa, this is kind of different, and I like it? Yeah, I think,
2: you know and I almost think it almost all goes back to hearing double bass for the first time. Now, I don't know if it's like that for anybody else, but the first time I heard, I put on Fear Factory's Obsolete. It was a a whoa experience, you know? Like, it was still kind of accessible because Burden sings a lot, uh, does clean vocals on top of the harsh vocals, but like that was a kind of an eye-opener, and about that time, uh, I started going to OzFest every summer. Because all the new metal band, new metal bands that I liked were on it. Well, you know there were still some old bands, um, like Slayer was on one year. I mean, I th- I remember thinking back, and I was probably fifteen at the time, I maybe mean, so sixteen at the most. And I'm thinking that Slayer is like the heaviest band on the planet. People are going to be getting knifed in the pit, and <laughs> <laughs> you know I show up and I re- and I listen to it, and I realize I'm like, man, this really isn't even this isn't even that different from like you know Metallica or something. And so that was kind of a that was another gateway, you know, like Slayer, Fear Factory, um, those types of bands are what led me to it. And then, like I say, when I get to college, like hearing the Haunted and In Flames and At the Gates and and some of the Swedish black and death stuff
1: that's over there, that's really that's where it started. And, and what what's kind of the try everybody has a different attraction into that stuff sometimes it 's the music itself sometimes it's it 's the stories like for you was it musically it just appealed to what you were into or
2: yeah for me it was you know and i 've tried to describe this to people in the past too, where it 's so hard for the general listening public to get past the vocals because that 's what they listen to when they listen to music, they listen to somebody singing, you know. And the background to it really doesn't mean much. And I think that for myself, and I think a lot of the people that are into metal, I mean, we're really into the music, you know. Like, I'm a, I'm guitar driven. Like, I love a distorted, turned up, you know, just aggressive guitar tone. I love it. And so, I mean, that's really what did it for me, and just the whole, the speed and the aggressiveness, and, um, you know, just seeing how good of musicians these guys are. I mean, early in college, I picked up a guitar, and I've tried to learn how to play, and I'm still horrible, but, I mean, I can drop my tuning down and make a lot of noise, but these guys are world-class musicians that, for the most part, a lot of people really don't know about them, which is kind of sad, but, you know, in the same sense, it's underground, man, it's it's what we like, it's kind of our own deal, which is cool, too.
0: Yeah, at least it's, uh, you know, the good thing, I think, now is, you know, with the music business changing and what's going on a lot of people think that it's the you know it's not a good, healthy situation, but I, I find it cu- quite the opposite, where there's so much freedom now, and all these bands have freedom to do whatever they want, and there's a level of, look, if you can get to the level of an Amon Amarth, or a Children of Bodom, or a Fear Factory, or Cannibal Corpse, so, you know, all these bands, I mean, they all make nice livings, and, and they do really well now, so it, it's, I think people are, would be surprised that they think it's super underground, and, and there's not a lot happening, but, you know, these guys are making real livings with, you know, they're buying houses and cars and having kids and that sort of stuff and the freedom that i think the the biz, the way the business is now gives these bands really is helpful too to to get them to even be more creative and kind of do stuff on their own terms i think
2: yeah and well, yeah i'm yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, so sorry to cut in there real quick but like you know I, I go to a concert and like like let's say i go to see a band like Opus, right and people don't know about Opus, like you'd think right and so i go to the concert and there's it's a 2,000-seat venue, and it's packed. And I think, man, where are all these people that I'd never come into contact with? Like, <laughs> I just wish I could see these people at some point during the day and just talk, you know? And then you show up at the concert, and, and you realize that there's really a lot of people that are interested in that stuff, and we're just, like, we're so diehard loyal metal fans, you know? And I think if you look at people that are still buying records, we've, we're probably some of the last people standing. And, oh, oh,
0: absolutely!
2: So and loyalty has to pay off for sure. I have to hope, at least, too.
0: Oh, absolutely! And you're exactly right. And look, I, I say all the time how thankful that that I am, and you know everybody is that the metal fans are so wonderful about that because they still, you know, even though the CD is, you know, they say oh it's a dying breed and all this stuff. I mean, our sales are still predominantly physical sales. We do still in the US eighty percent physical CDs, and in Europe it's even higher. It's kind of like ninety percent. I think that's number one, because the fans are really great and they want to participate and help out. And number two, I think they still want to hold something tangible in their hand as well.
1: And, and yeah, you I look agree. now, I mean, the vinyl is selling too. I mean, we've gone all the way back to vinyl and and people wanting that I mean it's you're right I think it is something tangible I mean I still remember those first metal albums I had that first accept album that I got like and I've told you before it was kind of my gateway into the whole thing the metal heart album like I still remember holding that bright red album with the metallic heart on it and it's 30 years ago and I can vividly remember standing in my room and looking at it and going oh my god what what do I have in my hands this is going to be amazing so I I think there is a tangible thing that has to go on in order For you to really appreciate what you're doing,
0: so I always got to ask this when we have uh, athletes on because I'm always fascinated by this. So, what kind of music do you guys play in your dressing room? I'm guessing not a lot of goat whore, probably.
2: No, it's you know it's hard, man. I it's funny. Like you put a. (laughs) I remember I sent a tweet out a couple weeks ago, and like we were coming home for summer, and I'm listening to goat whore, and I don't want to write on my Twitter account that I'm listening to goat whore, you know. (laughs) And it's just it's so. Like, they're an awesome band, you know, and it, but it's just hard for me to write that because I'm trying to be kind of, you know, PC and I don't know who I'm reaching out to, but even though it's like, it's just a band name, you know, but um our locker room is, it's tough. Like, it really, like, people think of hockey players or any sports players in general and they think that they must all be, you know, hard rock or metal and trying to get pumped up before games and these guys listen to dance and top 40 and you know, whatever song that's been cranked out of a laptop last week. And it's it's so repetitive, and it just, it wars me. And But there's nothing I can do about it, so I'm pretty used to just tuning it out, and I'll bring my own iPod and listen to my stuff. But um, every once in a while, I'll try to get guys to sneak something in there, and it just, you know, I, I, I took the control, and I used all my, like, somewhat radio-friendly stuff, you know? Like, I'd put on a little Pantera... And like old stuff, like even like helmet and things like that. And the guys should only handle it for a game or two, you know, and we even won both games. Right. And then the next (laughs) game, it's right back to right back to whatever, you know, dance pop artists. So
0: (laughs) we we got, we got to get you traded to Anaheim or Buffalo. So you've got some compatriots there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, or even, yeah, or what even, can you do about it? Or even Pittsburgh, like I don't know what the room is is there like, but I know there's a couple guys there that that are into it. But the guy that plays the music at uh, the uh, what is it called now, the Consell Energy Council. Center, is all metal. I mean, right. it's all Metallica, Slayer. It's amazing.
2: Yeah, I, well, my first NHL start was in uh, in Pittsburgh at the old Mellon Arena, the igloo there, and. I come out and I couldn't believe it because like they, they play Slayer right off the bat.
0: Yeah, they drop I'm the puck to Reign Blood. That's a good awesome. start.
2: <laughs> yeah, and then like later on in the game they're playing Satyricon, and I mean like the guy that's doing the music's got to be a true metal guy because oh, yeah. you don't just pick up a Satyricon record and throw it on. Like it's <laughs> not something you're gonna find even by somebody like somebody will tell you, yeah, I listen to metal. Like, well, who do you listen to? You know, and it's all these kind of radio guys, and it's not quite the same as the true underground. Stuff. And and that blew me away. I couldn't believe it. I think it's they're playing fuel for hatred or something like that. I was like, man, this is this is cool. And if they would have played a little more metal in the third, maybe to win the game. But <laughs> it's uh, Pittsburgh's definitely the class of the league with that stuff for sure. I mean, I've I've been to I've dressed in a, at least half of the NHL arenas, you know, during the time I've had in the NHL, and they take the cake.
0: Yeah, Pitt, Pittsburgh's number one. I think Jersey's close behind. I know the guy that does music there, and they play. They'll, they'll play some Amada Marth and some stuff, and and Anaheim too. I mean, Anaheim plays old school Slayer and a lot of Metallica and stuff. So there's there's a few few of these arenas out there, which uh, which I always like. And the Kings, unfortunately, play no metal. Although it's getting a little bit better. But what are they playing up in, up there in Binghamton? Yeah,
2: Binghamton, we've got a, you know, we kind of cover a broad base. I can't really say that they've got anything that's really stands out. You know, like when you go to Pittsburgh you can tell the guy's a metal guy. But um it's funny though like our the DJ in Ottawa, he uh like he actually kinda reached out to me, he's like, you know, wondering if there's anything if I make it up there and get a start, what he could play. And so I guess in Ottawa they try to incorporate some of what the guys do and what they like. And you're right, like last year I was in New Jersey for I guess about a month and a half or so and they've got a decent amount of metal that goes through there but um, their playlists can be, they can be pretty pretty controlled there too. But it all just kind of depends on who ends up running the boards, I think. And sometimes you get lucky, and you
1: know, sometimes it's it's just typical stuff.
0: So now. You, you know,
1: uh, Sorry, Brian. You know, I was in Boston on Friday for a game right after Thanksgiving, and they went to a shootout. They were playing Detroit. And and the Bruins, I think, are starting to do, much like baseball, they're starting to do little snippets of, of songs right before guys take the shootout, like their shootout attempts, almost like a, a walk-up song for, like, Derek Jeter or whatever, like the, all the Yankees pick their own song. And, and I always look at guys, and I, I'm always trying to figure out that I know if they ever did that in Buffalo, Drew would probably play an Every Time I Die song because he's a huge guy. I'm wondering – you're a goalie. It's a little different, but you know what would be your walkout song?
2: And that's that's such a cool idea. I heard you guys talk about that with Stafford when he was on too, and like, that really is awesome. I wish they would do that everywhere for us because it's a way to personalize the game a little bit. You know, um, I heard him say that he'd ha- come out to show bleed, which would be an incredible choice. So I don't think the I don't think the stadium would be ready for that, but uh, <laughs> like my my go to if I have to get ready. It just, you know, the most aggressive thing that really gets me going that has some groove to it. You know, and I go back in, into the early nineties with it, but Pantera's strength beyond strength, like that song, no matter what, will always give me an adrenaline rush. And there's stuff that I have now that's heavier, faster, but that song's it, man. That would be it for sure. And it's kind of, it's kind of carried over into my regular life too, just being a motto of mine of strength beyond strength. You know, I mean, it's, it's not just your physical strength. It's, what you put into it away from everything else to be the best you can. And so that would definitely be my song.
0: For those of you, of course, a lot of our fans are mostly metal guys, and we've taught some great metal talk. But why don't you give us a background of you know where you started, how you came up, and how you got into the NHL and now the AHL.
2: Okay. Um, I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. So I'm not from a very traditional hockey market by any sense, even though, Nowadays, we've got a handful of guys in the NHL that are from there. Um, Cam Jansen, Chris Butler, Paul Sassny, um, Bill Vitale, these are all St. Louis guys. So we're getting there. So um, I spent my life there until I was 16, left home at 16, and went to play in Springfield, Illinois to play juniors in the North American Hockey League. Um, that led me to college. So went to college at St. Lawrence University in the ECAC I played four years. I was drafted by Nashville after my freshman year. And uh, after college, I didn't end up signing with them. So I was a free agent and couldn't find an NHL deal or an American League deal. So I ended up in Las Vegas for two seasons. So I started in the ECHL, which is double-A level. And played the better part of two seasons there. I had a couple of call-ups to the American League during that time. And then in my third season, I finally stuck in the American League full-time in Portland, Maine. And spent a year there. Then I went to uh, Norfolk, Virginia to start a season. in the American League, again, um, got called up to Tampa Bay and signed my first NHL contract the day before the first game I played. So uh, it was a a quick ascent there. I didn't even know that that would even be possible a year, a year and a half, or two weeks before it happened so, spent half a season in Tampa Bay, played, I guess, 15 games or so, and then went to the Bevels organization for two years, went to Lowell, Massachusetts, and then last year in Albany, New York, and was also up again with New Jersey for about a month and a half and uh, played two games for them. So, uh, this summer, I picked up with Ottawa early in July and have been in Binghamton since, so... It's been a roller coaster. I've put on a lot of different jerseys and in a lot of different places.
0: That's the way it is when you're a professional athlete. I saw you play actually live quite a few times in Tampa because I go to Tampa quite a bit because it is, of course, as we know, the home of death metal. So I seem like I'm there a lot, and the weather's nice in the winter too.
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the old Floridian death metal scene. Man, that's uh, it's funny because that's like the one I I appreciate it and I know all the bands that are in it and from that scene, but it 's really not my biggest passion in metal like I like those bands, but i don 't really have a passion for it like the other ones but
0: so where, where so, oh go ahead so I was just say hey, so what are you listening to like now like what for there's so many different types of metal going around now? What do you find yourself listening to mostly these days
2: yeah you know I'm, I still am a like, melodic death I still really like, and I feel like that genre has kind of been kind of been bastardized a little bit in some places you know like there's i can hear bands on the radio that totally jock that sound um like an event sevenfold or some of these other bands that i've heard that sound that have that basic base to them but have turned it into something different so um melodic death i'm still really into like the new the new insomnium album is really really good um i still like that band awful lot um I kind of find myself listening to progressive type of metals where, like, not true, strict black metal, like the old punky, like, Darkthrone stuff isn't really my thing, but more of the newer stuff, like, uh, Keep a Colesson and uh, Vride, and uh, the new Enslaved album from last year was really good, too. So that type of stuff interests me, but I don't know, I'm really wide ranging everything I like, because I'm also listening to the new Machine Head album. Uh, the new Mastodon album, which is the new Mastodon, is easily the most commercial thing they've done. But I mean, to me, they haven't let they haven't lost any credibility at all. Man, they still rock, and they don't. It wasn't done in a commercial, you know, commercial way to try to sell records. I don't think it's just kind of a natural progression for them.
0: So, do you have a, a favorite band, or it sounds like you're kind of all over the map a little bit?
2: I am, but you know, like I people ask me that, and I figure I have to come up with one.
0: <laughs> That's and, right.
2: It's it's true, like, and I haven't even mentioned them yet, but um, I've been listening to the Black Dahlia Murder since, I mean, maybe two, I don't know, whenever the Whenever in Hollywood came out, that's when I first started listening. So maybe that was two thousand two or three or 2002 four. Two thousand two, I
0: believe. I could yeah. be wrong. Though. So
2: when that album came out, and I remember reading a review on, I think on the dot com, and I read the review and it said that they sounded like Carcass section and at the gates, and I went. Yep, I'm buying that. I didn't even <laughs> listen to it. Right, I didn't even bother to go to the website. I just went straight to the store and bought it. And uh, that was one of the best buys I've ever had because they've just gotten better and better. Like every album, them, they can't do any wrong. Anything wrong with me? Uh,
1: love that band.
0: Cool. Yeah, I agree.
1: Yeah, and they're they're awesome live. Brian and I saw them uh, last year this summer at uh, Summer Slaughter. And I had never seen him before, and you know they, they just put on an awesome show. It was at Irvin uh, Plaza, you know, on a nice small, intimate venue, and and they just ripped the place apart as the as the headliner. It was it's easily one of the best shows I've seen in the last year.
2: Yeah, I agree. I saw him. I've only seen him live once, and what's what's summer? It was maybe it was a summer slaughter. Yeah, it was one of the summer tours that they were on a couple years ago. I think it was right before Nocturnal came out. And,
0: was it Mayhem yeah, try, or, I mean, or S- Sounds of the Underground?
2: Or that, you know what? That's that must have been what it was—the Mayhem
0: tour. Yeah, that's yeah, right. With them and Cannibal and, and like Joffrey Cowboy and Behemoth. Yeah, that's right. Yep.
2: Yeah, and I got to see Cannibal Corpse for the first time and Behemoth for the first time, and that was a great tour, man. I was—that was—that was a really cool day. But yeah, Trevor from Black Dahlia, man, he was. And that guy just looks like a. I mean. Like a satanic maestro up there, you know, like the way he, he's just conducting a, conducting a metal symphony. Like they're, that band's awesome, man. That was a really cool tour. Like that's, you know, they had bands from all the different eras from Cannibal to the newer stuff like Black Dahlia. That was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, I enjoyed that. We had an entire stage filled with Metal Blade bands, so that was uh, that whole thing. That whole tour was just great, and everybody got along really well. And uh, it's a lot of fun. It's funny because you know you mentioned Trevor, and he's like such a nice guy. Off, off all those guys are nice guys off the stage. Sadly, none of them are hockey fans. I tr- keep trying to get them into it, but they're just not. So,
2: yeah, that's too bad. That's funny. Like I've, I mean, I'm I'm a relative nobody in the hockey world, so I, I don't exactly get to meet any of the. Any of the bands like the way you know Stafford gets some of the ends on that, so <laughs> uh like I've met I think like when I was playing in Norfolk, Virginia, the uh, hypocrisy and Opus came through, and I met some of the guys that they were just walking around with the mall and stuff, you know, and it was still kind of like. One of those things where you don't really want to go up and say, "Hey, man, I love your music," but then you're like, you know, this is a chance to meet somebody I really admire. So,
0: <laughs> but see, you gotta, you gotta remember though that all—I mean, this is the the general rule—is you know, all musicians want to be athletes, and all athletes want to be rock stars. You know that whole thing. So you you hold a, you know, you hold an interesting key there. I I know a lot of musicians who would who would love to to meet you as well. So, and,
1: and yeah. you have. You have such common experiences. I remember somebody telling me, you know, uh, oh, it was Matt DeFries was telling me that somebody said to him, how can you do that play in front of 2,000 people, you know, on any given night? And it was a a hockey player. It might have been Drew. And he's like, what are you talking about, dude? You play in front of 15,000 people every second night and somebody's trying to take your head off. Like, you know, to him, it's it's the ultimate thing. And meanwhile, Drew's like, you're playing for all those people and, and they're listening to you and, and I can't even imagine doing that. And so I, I think no matter what business you're in, you always think that the other one is, is so much more difficult. And I think both athletes and musicians have such a common ground in that they're performers and, and you know, they're they're critiqued all the time. I think that, that any time they talk, they find a common ground pretty quickly.
2: Yeah, that's definitely true because, I mean, you can – when I mean, you look at everything that we do, and especially as a goalie, we're so scrutinized on the ice with everything we do. And, you know, even I'm guilty, everybody's guilty of it. If you go and get a new CD and it doesn't quite live up to your expectations, you're like, man, what were these guys thinking? You know, like they're, they're off the game. And, and then you realize, I mean,
1: they're not mailing it in.
2: Like, you don't just go out and purposely make an awful record to make an awful record. And it's the same way as a hockey player where, you know, if I have a bad game, it's not that I'm... Thinking about something I did last night, it's just things didn't go right for me.
0: So I, I guess yeah, the good thing, and, are- and
2: not just that, just the touring and everything else You're right there's, there's a lot of parallels there.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, you're traveling all the time, and at least for you, you know, you have a bad game, you can start again in the next day or two, and people make a bad record, it's a long time. It's hard, to, it's hard to go back from that, especially these days where, you know, anybody can hear anything. But I think that's good because it's forced these bands. Like, if you don't make a good record, there's not a lot of incentive for people to support it and buy it.
2: Yeah, I totally agree with that. And that's, you know, I, I still give bands that, you know maybe i didn't like their last couple records i still give them a chance but after a certain while you kind of they start to get off your radar you know what i mean and like i remember arch enemy put out a couple albums that i just really wasn't interested in and um you know a couple years ago they put out rise of the Tyrant. and it was like whoa you know you guys what happened like you guys just totally blew me away with this it taught me off guard but if i'd completely given up on them i would have would have missed out on something that i end up really liking like that
0: yeah, it happens a lot. I think, for some reason, Swedish bands, I've noticed, tend to veer off a little bit sometimes, you know, like Paradise Lost or In Flames, and you mentioned Arch Enemy, always seem to be these periods of time where they go off into kind of a different a different world, so to speak, musically, for some reason. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not sure why that is.
2: I don't know either, because like my, my goalie partner here, Robin Leonard, he's from Sweden, and he's from Gothenburg, actually, so he actually knows some of the guys in In Flames and he's talking about them and their new record and stuff and so the, you know they just kind of got they get bored with what they're doing sometimes they just want to do something different and yeah. their newest album is a little bit a little bit more streamlined and a little more commercial and I mean I can understand that I mean if I don't like it I don't like it but when you're at that point in your career and as a band it, some people it must just be tough to do the same thing over and over and try to change it up every now and then makes a lot of sense
0: now are you or robin into amada marth
2: yes i am i am a big amada marth fan i don't think robin is as much as i am he listens to just about everything from metal to house i mean he's all over the map but um yeah i like amada marth a lot i've seen them uh man you know what they might be one of the few bands i haven't seen
0: oh my gosh you're missing out the
2: bill i have not seen them Sometimes I mean, a lot of the t- concerts come through in the winter, and I just never get a chance to. Like, um, yeah, I've never seen them, and they are easily one of my top, you know, one of my top bands.
0: And those guys are huge hockey fans, too, huge hockey fans. So yeah, we, we, we're going to to have to get a hook up there somewhere or another. You should come. Yeah, was, that'd be cool. I was talking, uh, I also do a couple other radio shows here on hardradio.com, and I was talking about these festivals this summer are maybe some of the best lineups I've ever seen, like Hellfest in in uh, France is uh, Black Sabbath, Machine Head, Children of Bodom, Cannibal Corpse, Amon Amarth, and on and on and on. I mean, the bill is just insane. So, you, yeah, So what I'm saying is you need to go to France this summer.
2: Yeah, you know what I'd love to do is that 70,000 tons of metal oh, yeah. uh, cruise that's going on.
0: But you can't. And if
2: I could find a – yeah, they're, they're almost sold out on them, but i got to get married this summer, so that takes priority number one. But
0: it's, Well, it's uh, also in I January, January or February. Is that what it is?
2: It's yeah, the 70,000
0: yeah, right. tons of metal. It's it's in it's in, I think it's Janu- late January. So unless you uh, go AWOL for a week, which probably wouldn't be good for your career, I think you're out of that one. <laughs>
1: yeah, you're going to have to it be in France in the summer and call it a honeymoon. Yeah, yeah. It's too
2: bad it's not like during All Star break, go on a cruise <laughs> on the seventy thousand tons of metal. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good bill yeah. this year. No, too. it's. Yeah, it's funny because like my my fiance like she she likes it. She's not passionate about metal at all, but she likes some of it, and um, you know she puts up with it too. Some of the more extreme stuff. So that's cool. You have to you have to find somebody who can handle it. Otherwise, it's going to be a, a long a uh, long road together. I think.
0: Yeah, I hear you. My girlfriend likes, she likes Amanda Marth, uh Asley Dying, and Rammstein, and that's about the extent of it, but she'll, you know, put up with the rest, so I hear you.
1: Yeah, <laughs> but, but that's a good that's a good drive-in soundtrack right there. You can get away with those three bands in a long <laughs> car trip, and that's the key, is that you have some music you can listen <laughs> to if you have a three-hour or more car trip to get you through it.
0: Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Yeah,
2: my, my parents, you know, I saw uh, we saw As I Lay Dying when they were on tour as Children of Bodom, and God forbid, a Lamb of God on that tour a couple summers ago. She really liked them, man. They—that was the first time I'd seen them too, and um, they have—they're pretty cool, man. Good stage presence, like a lot of energy. I was really impressed with them. I had—I had been kind of a casual fan before that, but that really turned me on to them.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, uh, I know it's tough for you because, you know, basically six, seven months out of the year, you're not able to go to concerts. But that's a big thing, too, because, you know, even though you listen to records, a lot of times you'll see the band live and go, like, wow, so much better live than than I thought that they were going to be. And then you go back and start listening to the records. Is there any bands that have been like that where you've seen them live and you were like, ah, I kind of like them? Or you just didn't know who they were and you saw them live and then you went back and started to buy the CDs and realized they were really cool?
2: Lamb of God sent that bill for me to a T. I heard them a little bit and I would borrowed a CD of theirs in college early on from a friend and I just wasn't really that into it and I saw them with maybe they were playing with Hypocrisy. I can't remember who they were with on that tour but I saw them live and it was a totally different ball game and then from then on it was you know I was a big fan of theirs and I think that was the that's probably the As the Palace is Burn tour I guess so there's yeah second album third album and yeah that changed everything but really a lot of bands been like that for me especially early on when i was just getting into metal and i'd never heard a lot of these bands i'd go to the big summer tours like i could say like the Ozfest and stuff like that and i'd find bands i'd never heard before so i think it plays a big role and people don't you know seeing metal for the first time live is an eye-opener it's I'm a racing fan too. It's kind of the same way when you take somebody to a race for the first time, they they start to understand why it's not the same as it is on TV.
0: Yeah, that's, that's
1: the same that's the same way with hockey too i mean they're all any kind of theater i think you know that you have if you see it live it's much different than seeing it on tv and i think especially metal music to me is such a theatrical thing one of the bands for me that was like that was the first time i saw danzig i was twenty, twenty-two 22 years old i had just moved to new jersey and you know i went on a lock orange nine millimeter was opened up for him that's how long ago that was and uh huh. You know, I, I saw dancing on stage, and I'm like, holy, this is I, this I really like, and and that kind of was another, you know, move me in another direction. But that was all theater and, and stagecraft. I mean, those guys are, they're they're performers. It's not just getting up there. You know, you go see some bands, and they just play their album. I remember I saw Boston when I was in college, and I'm like, I could have put their album on my radio deck and just said, okay, I saw him. You know, you want to go see a band that's going to give you a show that you remember, you know, like a Rammstein or or a band like that. And so part of it's just theater, especially, I think, in the metal uh, genre.
2: Yeah, I can think of some of the bands like that that I've seen where, like, Cradle of Filth comes out, Full Corpse Paint, you know, on the Whip stage, and the Emus, the best-dressed guys in metal next to Immortal, right? Or (laughs) Demu Bourdieu, right? it's And black metal is so funny to me, because it can be, it's to, it's so over the top, you know, like, <laughs> nobody walks around wearing, uh, you, know, you know, you know, wearing uh, gauntlets and shin guards and stuff, but, like, it, you're right, though, it is part of the aesthetic to it, and it is a performing art. I mean, we all know they're not walking around with corpse paint on during the day, I mean, people, they're just
1: normal guys that just happen to like that style of performance.
0: Well, maybe you know? some of the Norwegian bands, you never know about them, but...
1: Yeah, I was just going to say I don't know if you've, if you've ever read it but there's a book out it's it's an older book it's called Lords of Chaos and it's kind of about the whole Scandinavian death metal scene and you know you laugh that guys don't walk around in corpse paint and stuff like that but there were guys back then that did and you know when that whole scene started and they, they believed that it was a way of life and you know you're always going to have those extremists that, that are on the far end but it's really interesting to kind of read how you know it spread from from that cradle right there and kind of went everywhere into into the States into Great Britain you know with Cradle of Filth and everything like that it, for people that enjoy the history of music it's, it's a really well done book.
2: Yeah, I've I've read that before actually. I own that book and you're right though, about the early early and mid nineties when black metal scene in Norway was just kinda coming around and yeah, there was some bad stuff going on with it back then, but I think largely most most of the guys have finally moved past that. And,
0: um Yeah, the current the current like, bands like the, the like the Behemoths and Cradles, I mean yeah, they're they're very that's a, the funny thing is, you know, you think a band like for example Cannibal Quartz or Behemoth would be these crazy lunatic type people—they're probably two of the most normal, regular kind of guys you would ever meet. You go on their bus and just sitting around watching TV, being super mellow.
2: Right. Yeah, it's it's kind of the same way with me. People hear the music that I listen to and they're just—they're shocked. You know, I mean, I don't—I don't really sit the part because I don't have. People think of metal guys that have long hair, you know, and it's funny that the stereotype of a metalhead, I think, is totally way off what a lot of us really are like and even to a certain extent where you think you see somebody walking down the street is wearing like the big hot topic pants you know and like mesh t-shirt or something you think look at this metalhead and it's it's not like that at all i'm like you don't understand like some of these guys that are like look at the guys in unearth you know i mean or darkest hour or just, i mean just any of the metal bands that are big nowadays you don't have to have long hair you know you don't have to have the jean jacket anymore or you know like it's you can be just about anything and play in a metal band and what? the only thing that kind of seems to tie us all together is we all have tattoos and that's about it
0: <laughs> <laughs> i have no tattoos by the way
1: so uh, neither do I'm, i so I'm, we're in the minority, yeah, Brian, we're in the minority.
0: but i think you know the stereotypes have been broken down i think a lot over the years for example, now I, I mean I meet guys that run. For example, the guy that runs Swiss, uh, one of the biggest Swiss banks, one of the biggest banks in the world, is a huge metalhead. Loves a Marth. and you know you meet other guys that are CEOs of companies or you know actors and you know athletes like yourself. And there's so many people that are into metal and you know from all different walks of, of life. Now I think you know the the stereotypes that we had, especially in like the 70s and 80s, it, it still exists, but it's so much better now. And it's really interesting when you meet these people who you know, grew up on metal that are now, you know, big wigs and whatever, you know, whatever genre of, of, uh, of, of society they're in, it's really kind of interesting. People you would never expect.
2: Yeah, it's, I mean, that's good to see too, and that people can be broad in how their interests are and they don't necessarily mellow over time, which I appreciate, you know, <laughs> there's nothing to, to me that's the most annoying thing on earth is when I get into a band and then five, six years down the road, they're, are all clean vocals and they've mellowed out. And they're trying to be on the radio, and that's I hate that. that just doesn't do it for me. Sell you
0: know, sellouts, <laughs> sellouts. Sell I
2: mean, and I, I touched on it. Yeah, I touched on it earlier. But like a band like Mastodon's gone to almost totally clean vocals, but at least they still, you know, they're doing it their way. Like they're not a, you know, it's not a commercially driven thing at
0: all. Yeah, they've done it organically. I think so. It, it works and it's a natural progression where they're not. It's not something that wouldn't expect from a band like that. But yeah, there's other ones that do it that you're kind of like, really, come on. So we got to right. talk a little bit about uh, racing because you're a big racing fan, as am I. Um, uh, but I'm mostly into IRL and F1, which I think is also following you on Twitter is mostly what you're into. You're not a big NASCAR guy, are you?
2: I'm not a big NASCAR guy. I followed enough that I know what's going on, but rarely do I actually sit and watch a whole race for them. Uh, whereas IndyCar and F1, I won't miss a race. Yeah.
0: So, so who's your grew- IndyCar driver?
2: I don't have favorites. I really try not to, and I think I think a lot of that is because I grew up around racing, and my dad raced Super Vs, which basically is the equivalent to Indy Lights nowadays. Um, you know, he raced with and against guys like a you know Jimmy Vassar, Bobby Ray Hall, uh, Ari Lion Dyke, all these names that go back in the day, the Unser kids and Andrettis. and so when you grow up around it, I think you just kind of learn to appreciate the actual racing of it and I always I mean I always root for the underdog to win in the first point point first sure. race, but um you know, as long as it's a good race I'm plenty happy. You know? yeah, I
0: noticed that with IRL, like I I love IRL and there it there seems to be more it's the same thing I don't really I mean I probably like Will Power the most just cuz I he's a bit of an underdog like you say and I I love the way he drives but you know Kanan, and and Frankie and Scott Dixon and Ryan Briscoe I mean all those all these guys are great drivers and there seems to be a really good amount of camaraderie on on the IRL circuit which which I think is good and I'm happy now that it's all back to one entity where they split it up before which is kind of ridiculous but what do you think obviously you know the whole Dan Weldon thing was, was awful but in the long run I think it's going to make at least for me as an IndyCar fan like I like the, the street courses and the road courses better than the ovals and it seems like that's where they're going to go they're talking about maybe three or four or five ovals at the most Do you do you like that or would you rather see them do more ovals well I
2: think first and foremost, they were racing on a track they probably shouldn't have been on in the first place. And I know that people don't like to hear that that are true oval fans, but I think if you're an open-wheel IndyCar fan who's been around a long time and understands the sport, I think you've been around long enough to know that IndyCars used to only race on ovals that had to lift off the gas and use the brakes and drive the cars. I mean, they used to drive it Indy, Milwaukee, Nazareth, Phoenix, um, Trenton, Pocono places that you know they weren't like these mile and a half tracks that were just built for NASCAR. And so you get this artificial restrictor plate racing where it's just a buzz of hornets going around the track within an inch of each other at 200 miles an hour. And I mean, to me, that's not really racing. That's just an era That's an exercise in aerodynamics. And um, I grew up with road racing. I love road racing. Um, I, I think it's every bit as exciting. Especially if you get to go and see how they take different lines through the corners and spend two, three laps setting up a pass, um, but I mean, I like the ovals too, you know. And if they could find a way to go back to some of the places like a Milwaukee or a Nazareth, which unfortunately will never happen because it's torn up, um, I'd be totally happy if the schedule was split in half. Um, as much as I, because I just enjoy both disciplines of it, but. First and foremost I'd like to see the series be healthy and they need places that are going to be able to make money off of. And
0: yeah, right now
2: there just doesn't seem to be any fans that are flocking to ovals to watch them race, which is sad because that was the history of it, but you know, why keep doing why keep beating your head against the wall if it's not working? There's just not any sense in doing that.
0: I guess the frustration is that, you know, you have the Indy 500, which there's, you know, 500,000 people going to that live and watching it on TV. And then you just don't get that as much with some of the other ovals. But, you know, they're trying. It's interesting because, you know, the Baltimore race this year is the first race of Baltimore. And that was the a road course. And that was, I think, next to Indy, the biggest amount of people, that 130,000 people or something there, the biggest event, brand new event through the streets of Baltimore, which nobody really kind of expected that it would be that huge. So it's interesting that, that that became like the big signature race.
2: It is. And then the crazy part of it right now is that that race is in trouble because they have had a hard time with the promoter there and paying vendors and all this stuff, and now it's a big mess. And
0: well, it's Baltimore. It just
2: shows how... <laughs> at Baltimore, right, which it just shows how difficult it is to really put on a successful event and make money doing it. They cost a lot of money. And, um, I mean, Baltimore blew everybody away. And I've got several friends within the series, and um, the PR director for Honda in the series is... A, you know, my, well, dad, my dad was the best man in his wedding. So <laughs> um, we're pretty connected to it, but... Um, you now, if they can get the financial straightened out, hopefully they can have more events like Baltimore, where they bring it straight to the downtown area, St. Petersburg, Florida, same way, yep. great event. Yep. You know, and it's been around, and it's it's healthy. Toronto, healthy, although it didn't use it's not the way it used to be. Um, you know, in the mid '90s, late '90s, when IndyCar was still strong, I mean, they, that place was jammed. And we went, I went this summer to Indy and in, in Toronto, they call it the Indy, so um, and it was it was packed, but it wasn't quite like the old days. So hopefully they're on an up swimming. I'd like to see them get back to the way they once were. It'll be tough,
1: but hopefully
0: happen. I think it's going to get there. I mean, I I th- I think the racing itself is is great. And I, you know, I was not, you know, as a kid growing up, I was kind of into it, and then I just didn't really pay much attention to it for quite some time. Especially when they split the two, and now that they now that the two have been back like the last you know four years, uh, I've been really getting into it much more. Like I, I watch every race now, and I know all the drivers, and you know all this nonsense. So you got to hook me up with some of your friends. It's the only I, I don't know anybody in that whole world yet, so I'm dying to kind of uh, stick my little toe in there and uh, see some of it
2: yeah well if we're in the same place at the same time i'll make it happen because that's uh, it is it's pretty cool it's the same way it's i mean you've been inside the music world i'm inside the hockey world and you know it's kind of our own little bubble and once you get to know a few people you start to know everybody it seems like so
0: um it's it's cool
2: man uh and especially being back under the same and just having the one sanctioning bodies it makes a big difference like you said earlier the split really turned a lot of people away and um, hope they get back to what they were.
0: All right. Well, on the on the last note of that, then you and I have to talk, and sometime next summer, I'll fly you somewhere, and we'll go to a, an IRL race someplace.
2: That's fine. Uh, hey, man, we usually go to one a year, so we'll, we'll meet somewhere. I think next year, we may actually be planning on driving over to mid-Ohio and camping, so that could be a that could be a real experience there if you wanted to pull that one off with us. <laughs>
0: cool. All right, we'll have to look at. All, we'll have to get our schedules to align, but I, I, I'm down. I'm definitely down. So uh, going back to the music again now, real quick. So like, if I were if I were to grab your iPod today and kind of look at the latest stuff you just put on there, what's the newest stuff you put on there that you're listening to?
2: Okay, I'm trying. You know what? I actually tried to do a little homework so I wouldn't be caught off guard with it. Um, <laughs> the newest stuff. In 2011, that's kind of what I had to look back on, was 2011. And so um, I've, lis- I've been listening to Bride. I don't even know if it's, sp- if it's pronounced Bride or Reed, or I don't even know. They're Norwegian kind of
1: progressive, progressive black metal.
2: Which um, is really fantastic.
1: Album, you turned me on to that through Twitter. So if any yeah. of you guys want to find some new music, follow Mike on Twitter, and uh, he'll, he'll turn you on to some good stuff. Uh, I've been listening to a lot of that myself.
2: Yeah, that's that's my album of the year um, so far. Black Dahlia Murder's right behind them with Ritual. Um, Those two, the new Insomnium album. um, I've got another older variety album I've been listening to. um, New Lord, uh, New Mastodon, New Machine Head. I think I said Insomnium. There's two. Um, This year's did Amon Marth come out at the beginning of this year or was that late last year?
0: i month of March? That's
2: still a fair amount. 2011? Yeah, was that the early?
0: Yeah, it came out in... Uh, early this year. April? Matt, April? March. March. sorry.
2: March, that's right. So I've been listening to them a lot. I've got a little bit of Old um, but Yeah, th- those are kind of been the newer ones that I've listened to. Uh, the new Symphony X, too. They're one of the few, like, power metal type. I mean, they're not really a like power metal, but, you know, progressive metal. I like them a fair amount. Um, so yeah, I guess that's Mastodon. That's pretty much all the newest, newest stuff that I've had going from this year. And I haven't really been searching as actively as I did a few, few years prior, just because I have so many bands that I listen to now that I'm pretty happy with what I have, (laughs) which is, it's kind of a lazy excuse, you know, but, um... There's enough bands that I like that there's usually an album coming out every month or two that I'm I'm pretty happy
1: with.
0: That's uh, still a pretty, well, I'm gonna, pretty I'll impressive I'll do a little list. PR
1: for for Brian right now. If you want a good 2011 album, pick up the Ghost album. It, it's to me the best album this year. I, I just I can't stop listening to it.
2: Yeah, I keep hearing about them. What kind, What's a? I think I gave them just a quick listen to One Day. But what type of? What see, type of music are they? See, really? I
0: wonder if see I wonder if Mike would be into it. It's it's there very much, you know, a lot of people say that they sound like Merciful Fate. There's a tiny bit of Merciful Fate in there, but maybe more the image. It's more to me it sounds much more like kind of late 70s Blue Oyster cult with like a real heavy kind of background. I mean, maybe maybe Sean can give you a better uh, uh indication of it.
1: No, well, it's just it's tuned down so low and it, it it's like that really kind of plodding um, but it's, it's just, it, there's some, to me there's like, I, I can't even explain it. There's some King Diamond in it probably, uh, people would say that, it, but I, I don't know, it's just really, really infectious. And, uh, you know, they're coming, they're coming over soon, and, and I can't wait to see that, but, uh, to me that, that album is just, I probably uh, when that come out in june maybe uh, uh
0: came out well it came out in europe in october of last year and then it came out in the u.s in january of 2011
1: okay yeah and i probably picked it up uh right after the stanley cup finals i was a little late on board but uh in the last six months i probably listened to it 500 times i mean <laughs> I, I just it, it's fantastic and it's a, it's not a long plotting album you know it, it's, it's like 33
0: really minutes or something
1: yeah, but it's one of those albums. Like, are you try and explain to people. I got caught in the elevator at the at the draft trying to explain to another metalhead from my office what it was about. And you know, it's it's a lot of like uh, the, a lot of uh, interplay with with satanic images. And the guy comes out dressed in the papal hat, and the and and all the other players in the band are anonymous, and they're all monks. And so I'm trying to explain this, and I'm like, you know, they just have, like, go to a YouTube kind of message, but, you know, you don't really listen to the lyrics, you listen to the music, and there were like seven other people on the elevator, you know, and you get one of those where everybody turns around and looks at you, and you're like, probably not a conversation I should have been having in the elevator, because <laughs> not now the they all think you're a devil worshipper. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you just like go to
1: YouTube. I'm to Goat Whore. <laughs> 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 the same kind of thing, and they're all people that worked in the hockey business, they're all like, oh, that's what's going on over at NHL.com, great.
0: So Mike is sacrificing
1: children next.
0: (laughs) So, uh, oh, so Mike is a great Twitterer. Uh, You should definitely follow him on Twitter because most of his twittering is either about racing or metal. So give give out your uh, handle there, Mike, and we'll get people to follow you.
2: Okay, I am uh, at Mike McKenna fifty six. That's my Twitter handle, and um, yeah, like you say, I mean, I I kind of I try to be interesting. I tweet about fair amount pretty equal between hockey and racing and metal and food and sometimes i'll get some pictures of my dog on there because he's pretty awesome too so <laughs> i try to vary it up i just try to be interesting and not, i
1: try not to try not to anger anybody but you know it's inevitable sometimes
0: no, you're, <laughs> and every,
1: it's, it, you're like good. it's hard too right because everybody kind of has a different in your business and in our business too you know anytime i guess you have somebody to report to everybody kind of has a different take on, on you know, your your Twitter activities. I know, you know, obviously when you're in New Jersey, they were a pretty conservative organization, and, you know, they might not be as open as other places, but when you're in Tampa, it was probably a little bit different. But it, it, it has to be a little hard because you're always kind of thinking about how things are going to be taken. It's not like, you know, Joe Schmo, who has 15 followers and can say whatever he wants on there. 100% correct. And New Jersey, they don't even, they don't allow it, period. There. You know, I was on Twitter before
2: um, for a while with them, and then they gave me the uh, cease and desist order and did that again with another player this year, and um, there was a great article written by Ian Mendez from Sportsnet in Canada, if somebody wants to Google that, that kind of explains the situation without me going into it, but um, yeah, I mean, some teams are really forward-thinking with it. Ottawa's been good. Um, they're, you know, I don't think any team actively really encourages it that much, but um, the teams that are ahead of the curve and that are able to use it to their advantage they see the marketing potential and the human aspect of it and so yeah no complaints here or not well man they've been great with it but you're right in the same, same sense i have to constantly filter myself to a certain extent because anything i can say can be taken in the wrong way or can be taken in some way that will be offensive and so i'm kind of always walking that line but and again, I mean, you don't want to come off in anything you do in life as too much of an idiot. So <laughs> just try, try to think, think about it before you tweet it most often.
0: Well, I will say that most athletes are horrible Twitterers. I'd say probably 99% <laughs> of them. And even worse, most hockey players are even. I, I think there's no. The only good hockey Twitterers, in fact, there's only really two, if you ask me. Obviously, Bissonette is at the top of his game and you, I think you're the only two guys. I mean, I follow a lot of hockey players and most of them have absolutely nothing interesting to say, except for you two guys. Everybody else is uh, saying the same boring stuff. So it's horrible. Most athletes in general.
2: Yeah, I appreciate it. I mean, that's, you can't just, uh, you can't just get on there and report what happened the night before. Cause I mean, people can go online and find out that anywhere, you know, and that's, sometimes it's people just have the account and they write out some generic things here and there or they just carve other players back and forth, but if people actually want to engage with you and find you to be an interesting person, you've got to show your personality and you know, show them a picture here and there and show them an insight to your normal everyday life and that just shows that you're just another person as opposed to being this uh, mythical icon, you know, which, I mean, I know I've met you've that before, like we played in an all-star game in the East Coast League together, and he comes off as this, you know, larger-than-life guy and everything he does. He's another guy, you know? I mean, everybody out there has a friend who's just as wild and crazy He just doesn't have the potential to show it off like that. And so, you know, I think that's what people, they get a kick out of seeing that stuff.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, it, and it's all about, like you say the, the promote. And it's funny because, you know, the music business especially, and certainly we encourage, almost force the bands to get up on Twitter and, and get out there because it's very important for, you know, for I think the people to, to have that relationship, the one-to-one relationship with the artists. And I think it's the same with athletes, but unfortunately a lot of these uh, sports... Um, Leagues are not the most um, forward-thinking when it comes to that sort of thing. So I applaud, you know, what you do and any of the other athletes that which have, like I said, very few. The IndyCar guys are really good, actually. They're they're good Twitterers, but I guess they have to. But I, I think that's really cool. It, like at least for me, as a fan of all that stuff, I'm more into it because you know you start to to know a lot of these guys. I might I might actually even go to Binghamton just for no other reason to see a hockey game now.
1: Oh, you got to go to Binghamton to see a hockey game. I went to school in Syracuse. I spent a lot of time at the Broome County Arena, there, Utica. I did the whole AHL tour, and uh, those are some good barns to go see games in. And the fans love it. You know, there might only be a couple of thousand in the building, but they they're digging it, and it, it's a good time. Not in the We're winter. Passionate at this level. Yeah, and at, at every level I've been at, people are
2: passionate as long as you find the right city. I mean, you know, going into Binghamton for the year, it kind of had a reputation that it was a, not a great city. It wasn't going to be any fun. And to be honest with you, I've had a great time here so far. Like just the simple fact of having fans that actually care and are engaged um, and enjoy what you do—that makes a huge difference. Um, you know, we found a good place to live. We've got there's good restaurants here. I would have never guessed that. <laughs> and you know, if you want to come to town and go to a pub before or after a game, I mean, there's a decent little pub scene downtown it's you know this is a much better city than people give it credit for and i think a lot of the minor league ones are like that you may have to search for it you know
0: but it's it's there in most places and see if it wasn't for twitter we would never know
2: that's right. I mean, come on! I've got to spread the word somehow, and that's the best way to do it.
1: You should get a—you should get a cut from the Binghamton uh, Chamber of, <laughs> of Commerce, man.
0: Yeah. He'll be—he'll be employed yeah. by them part-time soon. Well, hey, Mike, thanks so much for hanging out with us. Uh, we really appreciate it, and uh, great to talk to you, and uh, great to talk metal with you. You definitely uh, know your stuff, which is very impressive.
2: As, hey, trust me, this is my pleasure being on. I look forward to doing this, and. We do some interviews, you know, where it's just a standard thing, asking about hockey and what's going on with the team. And These are a lot of fun to do, to branch out and do something different. And yeah, this was cool. Thanks for having me, guys.
0: Oh, our pleasure. Our pleasure. Sean, we'll see you next month with another installment of our lovely program here on Hard Radio. And we're going to yeah. leave – oh, sorry, go ahead. You had a, a party uh, word? up
1: yep, and uh, everybody enjoy the holiday season. We'll uh, – I guess when we uh, see everybody again, it'll be the new year.
0: It'll be 2012, which hopefully will not be the last year ever. And we'll see you guys next month. Have a great holiday, a safe New Year's, and we'll see you in 2012.